today on Ag News Daily. I cannot even begin to guess how much less, how well farmers will respond to the idea of, of the ethanol bearishness. Good afternoon and happy hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Of course, today's episode is sponsored by our partners at agmarket.net. Check out their website, agmarket.net, and we'll get to more with them later. But Mike, you are also on the podcast today. Did you have a good Easter weekend? It was a little weird, I thought. You know, it was, I think, just like a lot of folks, it was a weird Churches were not happening, at least here in Chicago. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. Delaney, how was yours? It was bizarre as well. I guess you could have watched Easter service on TV, but I don't know. That's not really my thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, mine either. But, uh, no, it's been an interesting. Hopefully all of our uh, listeners had a good Easter and they were able to connect with their friends and family and, uh, you know, celebrate the the rising of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe you had to get a little interesting and have some Zoom Easters or whatever. But uh, I know usually this time of year, after Easter's over, people start thinking about planting. But we got, you know, quite a bit of inclement weather in parts of Iowa yesterday and I guess probably I assume South Dakota got a little bit of snow yesterday we here in central Iowa got some sleet and a little bit of snow and I do not think ground temperatures are going to be warm enough to start planting this week right it is definitely a challenge for a lot of growers widespread rain and or snow across much of the corn belt yesterday swept up came through chicago late last night it is something else the year of 2019 has now continued solidly into 2020 and growers are just doing the best they can to make things work well delaney the big news over the weekend was that some meat plant workers might not be going to work again indefinitely the big story that broke late in the day on friday into saturday gosh the days all kind of blur together was that the smithfield plant which produces between four and five percent of american pork is in in due to the outbreak of coronavirus at the plant. We don't know yet how long this plant is going to be shut down. They're going to be reassessing the situation as time goes on. But in the meantime, Smithfield came out and warned that this could indeed lead to meat shortages at the meat case around the country. This is a huge impact to the overall protein supply chain, Delaney Howell. Yes, it certainly is. And I think so. I don't know what... And Smithfield employs about 240 people. And in the state of South Dakota alone, there are about 430 cases. So, you know, that's about half of those people, which not all those 240 workers are sick, but they have the possibility to perhaps be sick, I think, because some people have actually tested positive at some of those facilities. But not only did we see Smithfield closing down indefinitely, Mike, We also saw another JBS facility, this time in Greeley, Colorado, has, of course, shut down temporarily. And we saw two JBS employees have now passed away because of COVID-19, with multiple other cases confirmed as part of their facility or their, their crew, if you will. And so they... We don't know how long they're going to be shut down, but it's not an indefinite time. 
Yes, indeed, Delaney. Yeah, coronavirus, uh, while animals can't catch it, it is certainly impacting the animal markets. And, you know, you hit on a couple of the big plants there, but there have been a lot of protein production facilities that have shut down in addition to the, the ones we've mentioned. Of course, we've talked about the JBS plants and the other plants in Pennsylvania. We also have National Beef Packing in Tama, Iowa shut down. They shut down on April 20th. Aurora Packing Company in Aurora, Illinois is closed down for the time being due to the pandemic. Harmony Beef in Alberta, Canada closed its slaughter operations. This was back in March. Uh, they shut down for two days. Word is they have reopened um, that plant, Cargill plant in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Tyson Foods in your hometown of Columbus Junction. Uh, Olamel Pork Plant in Quebec has shut down. Maple Leaf Foods suspended operations on April 8th. And Sanderson Farms has reduced chicken production to a million birds a week, down from 1.3 at a plant in Moultrie, Georgia. So we have seen this thing have its massive ripple effects throughout the industry. And it doesn't look like those are going to stop, Delaney. No, and the other thing I found interesting was looking at the USDA side of things. Of course, all of those meat packers still have to have federal inspectors in there to make sure that the meat is safe and that it's being labeled correctly and all of that stuff. And so USDA sent out an internal memo to their employees on Friday telling them that the department is unable to to provide masks to all mission essential employees and you basically have to find your own until supplies stabilize. Oh, man. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's frustrating for a lot of those meat inspectors, and I'm sure it's nerve-wracking for those plants wondering if these inspectors are still going to be able to make it in if they can't find a mask. Yeah, exactly right. The other big news that happened over the weekend is the oil cut. We had a really a record a uh, decision made by OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries and its allies, typically referred to as OPEC Plus, a non-OPEC country, the leader of those tends to be Russia. Those countries all came together and they hammered out a huge output cut agreement. Those countries agreed to cut 9.7 million barrels per day of oil production in May and June. That's roughly 10% of global supply they're going to shut in. And the United States and Canada also gave indirect commitments to cuts as well. So all of these things came together. Basically, the idea is nobody's driving, nobody's using fuel, We need to stop this overproduction. And President Trump heralded this move, saying that this should help stabilize the oil markets and keep thousands of Americans at work. The corn market reacted fairly positively heading into the overnight trade on Sunday. However, it gave most of those gains back, well, all of those gains back as the night wore on. And uh, basically just still corn wasn't really able to catch a bid on the thought that, okay, An increase in oil price would be helpful to ethanol producers, but at the end of the day, what they need is folks out there driving, burning through these stockpiles, and that doesn't appear to be in the cards anytime soon, Delaney. No, unfortunately, it sure does not, Mike. But the other big piece of news that maybe you hadn't seen that happened over the weekend, really actually Friday afternoon, was a confirmed case of the highly pathogenic avian influenza was confirmed in a facility in South Carolina, a commercial turkey flock to be more specific. This is the first time that we've seen a case reported and confirmed since 2017. And this is the H7N3 strain of the disease. So I really hope we don't see another avian influenza decimate our poultry herd because that really would probably be just 
the cherry on top of a crap sandwich right now. Yeah, no, nobody has been able to catch a break. And we're starting to be able to analyze just how much of a break nobody is getting. The Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri just released a study. They did an updated economic analysis looking at the entire ag sector since COVID-19 has hit. And they're trying to make projections after the end of this year, what is this going to do to farmers' bottom lines? And basically, what they saw or what they project is that crop farmers are going to see $11.85 billion in lower revenues in 2020, and livestock sectors combined are expected to see 20, a $20 billion reduction in receipts over or under, I should say, 2019. So the struggles of 2019 that were mostly physical, it was getting into the field, it was getting crops up and growing, it was getting crops through windstorms and hailstorms throughout the growing season and then getting them harvested, has now turned into challenges in getting those crops, marketed crops and livestock marketed and sold for prices that will both keep your family fed and the banker happy. And it does not look good, Delaney Howell. Hopefully, FAPRI is uh, predicting that they think this will mainly look last through the 20 and 21 crop season. They're projecting, projecting a 5 to 10% drop in grain and oilseed prices, and they're projecting an 8 to 12% drop in livestock prices for 2020. Hopefully they're wrong, but that's where the econ economists rather are looking today. Yeah, and I think this comes as no surprise, but on Friday, President Trump had a press conference where he told folks and told reporters that the federal government will distribute funds to producers impacted by corona re coronavirus-related market disruptions in, quote, the pretty near future. So he has put together a coronavirus task force and he briefed the press on this at the White House, I'm sorry, Thursday afternoon, not Friday. But a lot of folks just asked, you know, about what's going to happen with the USMCA agreement, what's going to happen because of coronavirus, etc. And so I think it's fairly likely, I think President Trump there is hinting that there will be some sort of market facilitation payment program here in 2020 and maybe even 2021. I mean, I hate to even think that far out and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the elections, but... I'd say it's pretty safe to wager that this year there is going to be some sort of market facilitation payment program, probably not going to happen until at least July 1st, though, when the CCC funds can get replenished. Yeah, got to get money in the bank before you can start doling that money back out, even though producers could really use the assistance today. Oh, gosh, it's just it's frustrating. You know, I've been on the phone this morning with uh, crop and livestock producers across the Midwest. And on top of the marketing issues, on top of the weather concerns, we also have thoughts or concerns, I guess, more concerns about river flooding. The upper Mississippi is flooding, was talking to a grower in the Red River Valley who says even though it is at minor flood stage right now, it is wet, 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 and more rain is forecast. Basically, we could continue to see supply disruptions, not just caused by COVID-19, but caused by Mother Nature as those spring floods start to roll down these river valleys. They are going to create headaches for barge traffic getting in and out of ports, uh, well, across the river system, both on the Missouri and the Mississippi side, as far north as St. Paul on the Mississippi side, and really the entire length of the Missouri's navigable waters. Yeah, it's uh, going to be... And unfortunately, another interesting growing year. Hopefully not as bad as last year, but I just have a bad feeling about it, unfortunately. 
Yep, you and, and everybody else I've spoken with, Delaney, folks are are really struggling to make marketing decisions considering the fact that they don't know when they're going to be able to really get into the field or when these wheels are going to start to turn. And it's just a hurry up and wait game for a lot of producers. Absolutely, it is. And looking at other impacts, of course, the dairy industry has been pretty drastically impacted by COVID-19, including milk dumping for, you know, in some parts of the country. But the USDA is responding and their risk management agency is trying to take action to reduce the impact on milk producers and said in an announcement on Friday that they would allow dumped milk to be counted as milk marketings for the dairy revenue production program or the DRP program or for actual marketings under the LGM dairy programs. So I think that is definitely a win for agriculture, for dairy producers. But uh, the other thing I wanted to add here, not, not about the dairy production, but when you look at dairy producers dumping milk and flip it then to the pork industry and having the Smithfield facility shut down, I can't remember how many families I read that send their pigs there. It was a pretty massive number, and there were some rumors being floated around that potentially the farmers who don't have anywhere to send those hogs would have to dispose of them on their own farms. Yeah, yeah, that is the struggle ahead, especially if these uh, supply chain disruptions continue. Are we headed back to a 1998 type scenario where really the production of pork in this country, which has been ramping up over the past several years, overwhelms the processing capabilities. These plants shut down or even if they don't shut down, if they just reduce shifts to uh, to keep some of their labor at home so not everybody's getting sick all at once, sort of a, a rolling slowdown is one of the phrases I have heard discussed when it comes to meat processing. Are we going to see this exact issue where we're seeing fattened hogs with no place to go except perhaps a pit on Farmer Joe's farm, which would be devastating yeah. to those hog owners, would be devastating to those producers who have spent so many you know, sleepless nights trying to keep these critters alive, Delaney Howell. Yeah, that's, it's just like hard for me to even talk about that. But yeah, that's maybe unfortunately the new reality that we're living in right now. Yes, it could very well be. Delaney, I tell you what, I am all out of news. Should we jump in and see the markets or do you have other stories for us to digest here on this bill kind of Monday? Um, I think I'm out of stories today. Sorry, guys, we don't have anything more upbeat to share with you, including the markets, which, as I mentioned earlier in the program, are sponsored by our partners at agmarket.net. They've got a great app, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, that you can check out. They've got a free trial going right now that you can try it, make sure it would work for your operation, and manage some of that market risk. Yes, indeed. And market risk is everywhere today across the screen. As I mentioned, we were higher as the markets opened in Sunday night, but those highs were not able to be maintained and all the grain markets closed lower with the exception of Kansas City wheat. Looking at the corn market, the May contract was off a quarter penny at 3.31 and a half. December new crop down a penny at 3.49 and three quarters. Soybeans also lower on the day. The May was down nine and a quarter at 8.54 and a quarter. November new crop down five and a quarter to finish at 8.70 and a half. Chicago wheat, the big gainer in overnight trade, ended up in the red. The May was down one and a half cents in Chicago at 5.55 even. December new crop down one and a quarter to finish today at 5.66 and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, the concerns about processing capability really took their toll on the market. 
Live cattle limit down across the board. June live cattle down $3 to finish at $81.37.50. August also $3 lower, closed at $87.75. Those will be trading expanded limits tomorrow. In feeder cattle, the May contract down $4.50, closed at $114.45. That is limit down on the day. The August also limit down $4.50 lower to finish at $124.37.50. Again, feeder cattle trading expanded limits tomorrow. Lean hogs, we've got mixed trade. Jumping out at the April, which of course is uh, is coming into delivery, the April contract was up $2.10 as it's trying to converge with that cash market, finish the day at $44.90. The May, however, and this is a note worth noting in your notebooks, ladies and gentlemen, limit moves in hogs were expanded overnight Sunday. The previous limit move in hogs was $4 with $4.50 as the expanded limits. Now that limit has been expanded. The regular trading limit is now $3.75 with the expanded limit as $5.50. May used that whole new limit. May was lower by $3.75 to close at $39.67.50. June also $3.75 lower to close at $44.92.5. So tomorrow those contracts have the capability to move $5.50 before the limits are hit. In dairy, the April did see a little bit of a bounce up two cents at 13.58, with the May down 48 cents to close the day with a 10 handle, wrapping up trading at 10.95. Let's dig in to what all these markets are doing in a little more detail with our good friend, Elaine Cub. Well, folks, for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode, we are chatting today with Elaine Cub, author of Mastering the Grain Markets, columnist on DTN, and lots of other things go along with that title. But Elaine, how are you doing today? How is quarantine treating you? My life is almost entirely unchanged. I do, <laughs> I do less traveling through the Midwest, um, but really the same, same exact stuff, still feeding cows. Still feeding cows, even though we've had really rough go of it here in the protein market since you mentioned cows. We'll just start out talking livestock first because that's not something we always do here. Talking, let's talk cattle and live cattle first, Elaine. And I guess we could couple this with the pork market here too because really the big headline here over the last really week has been all of these facilities either temporarily shutting down or indefinitely closing down. In the case of Smithfield, what is that going to do to our protein markets here? Yeah, it's uh, it's not good, Delaney. And just to clarify, you said all of these plants shutting down, and, and you said that I know rhetorically, but all of the plants are not shut down right, yet. There right, is, right. There is a, a number of yes. them, but all of those that have shut down. And that Smithfield plant in Sioux Falls that shut down, that's the ninth largest um, hog processing facility in the United States. So it is a big one and it is indefinite. There's no timeline on that. A lot of the other ones that have slowed down or shut down in the meantime are sort of a four-day thing to get cleaning done or maybe a two-week thing. Um, none of the other ones are shut down indefinitely yet, but that's certainly a possibility. And that has been the fear all along here for the livestock markets. And it, it is a fear for the beef um, market more than a reality so far. Because when you think about these processing facilities, you do have human beings working together in pretty close close contact. And other manufacturing plants in, in the United States have shut down due to this pandemic. So we always worried that the meat processing industry would be vulnerable to that same problem. But the difference is that it is essential. You know, it is essential that the 
country has meat being sent to the grocery stores. And for a while, we can chew through the cold storage, but it is not going to be okay for these meat processing facilities to be shut down forever, all of them. We must have them. We must have the people coming back to work eventually somehow. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at prices here, is today today is the first day, right, that lean hogs are trading on expanded limits or have the possibility to trade on expanded limits? Is that right? Yeah, and they're not hitting uh, they're not hitting their limits again today, so that's that's good news. And they're still just kind of bouncing along at at, a, at low prices that we saw. Uh, looks like a couple of weeks ago, they haven't pierced below that level of support yet, but it is certainly a possibility ability that we could continue to see these May hogs um, continue to trade below $40 a hundredweight, which sounds apocalyptically low. But the other thing you have to consider is that, you know, the the price is paid for the lean hogs. Certainly that will experience pressure. But at the same time, the price that consumers are going to have to pay for pork if these shutdowns continue for a long enough period of time that's going to move upwards. It's going to be one of those scenarios where everyone is feeling pain. Nothing good is going to happen from this. But again, for the for the very near term, um, we maybe don't have to freak out too much because there is that cold storage that will sort of be a buffer to get the meat to the consumers. And there is the idea that the exports probably, you know, we can keep some of that in domestically uh, or are likely to keep it domestically, whether we want to or not here for the next, let's say, couple of months. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I uh, went out and bought some bacon and sausage today just to stock up just in case because I definitely have to have that in my diet. But as you look at the live cattle market, Elaine, they are trading on limits today. Do you see them? I mean, I guess how much downside risk is left if we still have potential processing facilities that could continue to close down? Okay, so the futures are down today, and it doesn't look great, like $91 here for the Mm -hmm. April contract. But think of this. The cash market has never been as drastically bearish as the futures market looks. Cash prices were, I think, $104 last week. So there is still the potential or the the likelihood that the, the cash settling mechanism of these futures contracts are going to motivate those futures to come closer back towards that $104 level or wherever the cash price is. The problem is that you're alluding to is that what is the what is the cash market actually going to do if, if those processing plants start to have the same problems that the pork processing plants have had? And it's it's almost, you know, this this is a human pandemic that is going to be shared by humans in every occupation. So so someone's going to have to deal with that eventually. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of room for that cash cattle market to to drop if you see um, the processing plants shut down and the feedlots having to keep those animals on feed and get really far behind their current level. I mean, it, it could be a humongous mess. I don't have a prediction for you of what prices could do, but for now, I would expect these futures prices to come back up towards the cash prices that have held in here uh, so far. Elaine, let's take things over and chat grains. I want to start out here talking soybeans. Uh, They were pretty far down in the red today. Definitely the loser out of the grain markets. What is going on with their trade today? 
Yeah, any day that I see soybeans go down, I initially go look at the Brazilian real, their currency, and it is, of course, down today. And I'd say that's probably the reason why you're seeing the global soybean prices having to be weaker today. And any these emerging markets, uh, their currencies, their interest rates, everything uh, are suffering on the days when you have these when the, when the broader markets or the broader economy fears are are negative, you know, when, when they have like a lot of fear about the risk. And so we see the stock market going down, you see emerging markets going down, you see the Brazilian real going down. And there is just this feeling that the worst news of this pandemic has not been entirely washed through yet, that we could see lower lows in the future as um, traders factor in not just the size of the reaction, but the length of it. You know, this is probably not going to be a V-shaped recession. This is probably going to be an extended period of time that we're dealing with this factor. And so that information or that realization just needs to cascade through the population of traders. And I don't think that has entirely happened yet. I don't think we've seen all of the reaction to that in the stock market or in these emerging markets. And that means that there is continued possibility, in my opinion, for weakness in that Brazilian currency. And that would play through to these prices of soybeans. Now, Elaine, when we think about this recession potentially being long lived, you know, we look back, or at least I look back at the wheat market, which when this thing first got started, wheat was on fire. Consumers were racing to the grocery store, stocking up on staples. And yet we haven't seen wheat uh, continue its strength. If this thing is going to be drawn out, won't folks continue buying your pastas and your bread? Shouldn't that be generally bullish for the wheat market? Yeah, we haven't seen it, you know, take off on an incredible rally, but we have seen it uh, have continued strength or stability. Let's say it's had continued stability. I'm looking at the Paris milling wheat futures price right now, and that actually is at a at a fresh high today or traded at a fresh high today, higher than its January high. So, so we are seeing stability in that staple grain. Wheat is a staple grain. Rice is a staple grain. These things that exactly like you say, these are the things that people go to the grocery stores and buys. They, they buy. They're going to probably give up on their Wagyu beef steaks, but they are going to continue to buy pasta and flour. So yeah, wheat wheat is stable. Um, it's not, like you mentioned, it's not anything that anybody's going to write home about. We're not seeing $6 cash prices yet, but I believe there's reason to remain confident that that stability should remain in a, in a staple grain market like wheat. So Elaine, we had, of course, the WASI report out last week. We've got acreage numbers that are have been floated around by analysts and whatnot, but when do you see I don't know if it's going to be wheat pulling acres away from corn and soybeans, but the corn number especially was surprising on some of the last acreage reports and estimates. When do you see perhaps commodities pulling acres from other commodities, or do you think that's going to happen this year? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to look toward wheat as a possibility. Um, That's the one that that spring wheat is the variety of wheat that a person could still um, make you know, make some decisions there or have an opportunity to switch to it there. Um, there's the idea of some southern wheat had cold weather last night and probably again tonight, but we're not seeing any sort of really big bullish reaction in the Kansas City wheat contracts yet. It's up two cents. That's not really a frost story. But um, yeah, there is the possibility that folks are going to look forward towards the opportunities rather than looking backwards at those WASD reports you mentioned or at the prospective plantings report. All of that, all of the data that went into those USDA reports that we've seen so far, uh, you know, took place on either March 1st grain stocks measuring 
or March 1st uh, surveys. And we all know the world was a very different place on March 1st than it is today. So those government reports are not really useful for us looking forward to what um, acreage might do at all. Well, if we don't have those government reports to rely on, I mean, I think we've definitely got some analysts on the podcast that say that government reports don't matter, but I would argue that they do and that the markets are the markets trade what those reports say. So when is when are we going to see them trade the actual planting numbers and not some of those outdated government reports? Yeah, yeah. And just to back up, I mean, that what I said there was not a criticism of, of the reports that the USDA put out. They they put out the data that they have. They have to use, uh, you know, the data that they have to collect and put in their models, right? But um, unfortunately, the world has just changed since that data was collected. So it would be in upcoming reports, potentially the May report even, that, that their models would start to really reflect even more of the bearishness from the ethanol market, for instance. And certainly the planting reality will just be decisions made individual farmer-by-farmer farmer basis that you know we, you won't really see reflected until you see actual planted acreage numbers. Well, Elaine, let's talk about planted acreage a little bit. As you look at the corn market, you know, we've seen corn selling off. We're now trading in the uh, the May contract at 331 and a quarter as we closed out the day today. Given these prices, given that the USDA, of course, was looking back at March 1 on the planting intentions report, do you have a number in mind for what potential acreage we might see? Or alternatively, what do you think the acreage mix is going to look like in eastern South Dakota where it has been so saturated? Uh Boy, that's quite a question. No, I don't really have specific numbers. I mean, I think that the acreage number for corn will be less than it was in that prospective plantings report, but I, I cannot even begin to guess how much less, how well farmers will respond to the idea of, of the ethanol bearishness. You know, the, the weekly production report from ethanol showed, what was it, 675,000 per day. That's the worst in 10 in a year, in a decade. That's that's really poor. And when you start to compare ethanol prices or corn prices against the crude oil market, which continues to sell off, or and I guess it's slightly higher here today, but it continues to be a pretty um, bearish looking chart. You know, there's not a lot of reasons for farmers to get real excited about planting corn right now going into that market where so much of the demand has legitimately been destroyed by this pandemic. So, yeah, I think here in eastern South Dakota, and this might be shared across most of the corn or across most of the corn belt is that there will be a shift towards soybean acres and where possible toward spring wheat or toward other specialty crops or cereal grains. Okay, Elaine, I'm going to leave you on the hardest question before we wrap up our discussion today. But I mean, there are just so many negative impacts going on right now during COVID-19. Do we have anything to be excited about when we look at the markets or planting or anything moving forward? Uh, <laughs> you guys ask some really hard questions. Um, you know, it's springtime. Springtime is nice. And we are essential workers here in the agriculture industry. You know, as long as we are able to get the inputs that we need to get our work done, to get our fertilizer, our seed, uh, any machine parts, as long as the, as long as that part of the supply chain doesn't fall apart, we should be able to continue our work. And that is something to be grateful for and something to look forward to. You know, I think people usually look forward to planting season. It's a nice time of year.
That is true. Way to find some icing to put on top of this crap cake we've been served as of lately. Alinka, before we let you go, share with our listeners how they can find you on social media or purchase your book if they need a little brushing up for this year's marketing season. Yeah, unfortunately, the book doesn't really talk about uh, what to do in the case of a pandemic. I did not see that one coming, but uh, certainly they could look for it. The book is called Mastering the Grain Markets. Or, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Elaine Cub, and Cub is spelled with a K. All right. Well, Elaine Cub, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Delaney. All right. Well, big thanks to Elaine Cub. You know, always looking for something in these markets. And no matter what is happening at the end of the day, these are the prices being offered in the world at large in which we deal. And we've got to make the best of them. And so that's what we try to provide on the Ag News Daily Podcast, experts who can help us make sense of what is happening with prices. Delaney Howell. Absolutely. We've got lots of industry experts like Elaine and others that you can listen to on previous episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast. You can find us online at agnewsdaily.com or in your favorite podcasting directory. Or you can also connect with us on social media at Ag News Daily. We're always sharing the latest information and news as well as pictures and photos and all sorts of fun stuff from producers getting out in the field. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Delaney.